What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty stores and Ulta.com. Hey, what a day, listeners. I'm Jason Concepcion, host of Take Line, Crooked's new sports pod, where me and my co-host, two-time WNBA champion Renee Montgomery, talk sports, pop culture, politics, and how they intersect with each other. You should definitely check it out and subscribe. But we also wanted to give you a little taste of the show. So here's a segment from the latest episode. Enjoy. The big story in uh, the NCAAs for the women's side was the disparity in facilities, uh, which blew up on social media uh, and... uh, was really inexcusable and was called out as such and was uh, commented on as such by NCAA uh, reps. So um, Oregon women's player Sedona Prince tweeted out a video last week that showed the men's weight training facilities, which I think would be something that you would, um, of the quality that you would assume that a top flight athletic tournament would provide for their athletes. Uh, and this was in right. the men's uh, bubble in Indianapolis. And then in San Antonio, the women's facilities consisted of one, I repeat, one set of dumbbells, or or I should say stand of dumbbells, right, which appeared to go no higher than 20 pounds for the pair. And then like a table with like three yoga mats on it. It was crazy it was tough it was tough it was i like in and hear me out because this is probably going to be a shocker but i was actually really happy for everything that happened and the reason i say this is because in 2009 i remember that i'm sure in 2009 our swag bags was nothing compared to the 2009 swag bags on the ncaa men's side we were champions that year in 2009 that's why i use that example Um, went undefeated. And I'm sure that we were nowhere near what the men had on their side. This has been an ongoing thing for years now. So anybody that's been around women's sports, anyone that's been just actively paying attention to women's sports, you should be disappointed, but not surprised. And so I love that this all came out because then it gave people imagery. Like you can say it till you have no more breath in you. Yeah, we don't get treated the same on the women's side as the men's side. But until people see it like that, here comes the outrage. That's a great point. It's seeing something is so powerful because like along with uh, the disparities in facilities, the NCAA also acknowledged that um, they were purchasing basically the cheaper, less accurate version of the COVID test for the women's athletes. Um, they were getting them the, uh, the men get the PCR test, which is considered the gold standard. The women were not getting that test. Uh, that has been kind of the sub theme of this conversation it hasn't been as blown up as the, as the disparity in facilities, but it is still like 
an absolute head shaker to me that that is the case. That is yeah. crazy to me. There's so much going on and 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 there's a lot of technicalities. So we're going to talk some more about this with the senior writer from The Athletic, Chantel Jennings. Chantel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Okay, so Jason already brought up the topic of COVID testing. Now, can you just tell the difference? Is one better than the other? I've seen that one is more accurate, one isn't. What's the deal of different testing on different sides? So the men are getting the PCR, which, as Jason said, is kind of considered the gold standard in testing, while the women are getting a few of those, is my understanding, but mostly the antigen testing, which is less accurate. And so when you're talking about a tournament that was pulled together during a pandemic and something as necessary as testing has an obvious difference, that's a problem. What was the reasoning there for the different tests? So there hasn't been a super clear reasoning for anything. I mean, I think we've heard space, (laughs) communication, uh, logistics, planning, kind of every sort of answer under the sun, uh, except the one that probably seems pretty obvious to most people. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think the thing that is so notable to me about this situation is, first of all, it is inexcusable, which, you know, uh, various uh People from the NCAA have, have spoke out about it, have, have admitted, I guess, uh, that it was inexcusable. But like to me, the thing that's crazy about the weight room specifically is that it was it would almost be weirdly better if they just didn't put anything there. Because to put one stack of dumbbells means that people had to come and deliver that, then look around and say, yes, this is good. This makes sense. The one a pyramid of dumbbells in a huge room and then a fold-up table with like three yoga mats on it. This is good. We have done our jobs. Whereas if they had just delivered nothing, then at least they could have used some fig leaf excuse of, oh, uh, the the equipment got rerouted somewhere else and, and it was all a vast mistake. No, but the fact that you delivered this stuff means someone looked at that and said, good, that's good. We did a good job. <laughs> Well, so you said three yoga mats. Um, the answer isn't that much better. The the answer is 10, which is still not enough for a My full basketball team. Oh, like That's the thing, though. They were like 10 yoga mats. So the five players who don't play as much don't get to do yoga with the team or something. Or maybe they bring towels from their hotel room and those can be their yoga mats. Like they also oh. let it be known there was one stationary bike so that one player could ride the stationary bike at a time. <laughs> Um, And it was in the NCAA manual that got sent to coaches leading into the tournament. It was, as Georgia coach Joni Taylor said, there was, it was put in writing that there wouldn't be full weight room facilities until the Sweet 16, which gets into a whole nother slew of uh, issues for the NCAA that they were acknowledging up front, the women aren't going to get as much as the men until the Sweet 16. But within that, there were also sort of vague references toward weight machines, cardio machines, weight balls that were going to be sanitized between use. And it was sort of like, then you look at that triangle of dumbbells and 10 yoga mats and you wonder (laughs) like, what? And I also, the fact that they specified sanitized yoga mats for 10 members of your team was just sort of like the tone deafness of it all was 
palpable. Yeah. I think that's that's the problem. It's almost like, you know how they say if you make a mistake, you almost have to just own it and, and own up to it. Mm-hmm. It was the excuses that came along with it that just had more questions. And so when when questions were asked, I'm hearing that this is not a Title IX thing. Do you know anything about why this isn't a Title IX case? Well, nonprofits don't fall under the scope of Title IX, and the NCAA is technically mm. a nonprofit. And so while they are the regulators and the enforcers of rules among universities, which are under the scope of Title IX, the NCAA itself is not. Um, just right. another nice little technicality to make this a little more convoluted. Mark Emmert, uh, president of the NCAA, uh, makes about $3.7 million a year in base salary. So it is a profit organization for for some people. Um, you recently wrote a story uh, about uh, moms in the bubble and the way the NCAA is handling that. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you found. Yeah, so this was um, an issue that we, I guess I as a reporter, was aware of leading up to the tournament. Uh, the weight room stuff was was not as obvious until Sedona Prince and Ali Kirshner, mm-hmm. the Stanford sports performance coach, put that out there. But the issue with moms was that the NCAA, which is something they like to do, they like to have sort of blanket protocols because uh, they like to dance in that area. And so they kind of put down this blanket protocol of 34 members in the travel party, no more. And they said, it can be whoever you want. You know, you get to decide. So it's totally up to the judgment of the coaches and the athletic departments. But every single living, breathing human counts toward this 34 count. And the issue you run into is that you have a nonprofit that has been saying for years, we need to get more women into this profession. We need to promote and support women. And as Coach Adiad Barnes said, you know, we're women's basketball. One thing that some women choose to do is have children. We need to support those women. Imagine that. Shocking, right? But so you have, Adia is a good example. She has two kids in the bubble with her, one of whom is a breastfeeding infant. That baby counts toward 34 count. And so even though on the flight, that seat that her baby would have taken up as an individual, a tier one individual, was unused because obviously an infant is sitting with one of the parents. Um, her daughter is taking one of those spots in, in the best possible way, right? She's She loves being a mom, but right. you think of, could they have brought another trainer? Could they have brought another academic counselor? Could they have brought a mental health counselor? But because the NCAA had this blanket protocol of saying no, this is how it's going to be, they are left without that. And then on top of that, if you did bring children into the bubble, there wasn't any outdoor space to start with. And so you're talking to these parents who have a single room. Her husband is an assistant on her team, so they have a a conjoined room. But you have like a five-year-old running around in your room while you're trying to coach in the NCAA tournament. There's no outdoor space. Finally, they now have some outdoor space. But the way I wrote about it was that the WNBA – in the bubble, welcomed moms. Yeah, definitely. The CBA, a a big part of that was making the WNBA more accessible for families and moms. And I spoke to Terry Jackson about this. She said, from the beginning of the bubble planning, moms and children were at the forefront of the discussion. And when it came to the NCAA, which had a roadmap from the WNBA, it kind of threw its hands up and said, eh, this seems good Mm -hmm. enough. 
Yeah, you know, so you you hit it on the head. Um, the NCAA has basically just said that they fell short on a couple things. That's kind of where they're they're staying at it. But let's just say money wise in mm. general. Like I know we don't have the numbers, but we could all assume that there just wasn't the same amount of dollars put towards the women's side as the men's side, correct? Yes. And I think, Renee, to your point, the differences between the men's and the women's game, what they're getting, it's not something new. But I think this season in particular, because of the bubble, there was a vacuum. And when normally these games would have been played on campuses, I assume you guys at UConn hosted quite a few early round games or or at Mohegan (laughs) Sun. but We did. But... So normally it's at a college campus. So the facilities are what they are for that program. And it's the higher seated team. So it's probably pretty good facilities. But right now, the NCAA had two vacuums and it was their job to fill them. And if you just look at how they decided to fill them, (laughs) it's pretty obvious where the priorities were. So Renee uh, mentioned the comment dropping the ball, which was spoken by Dan Gavitt, the NCAA's vice president of basketball who makes a reported half-million-dollar-a-year salary to run a basketball tournament once a year. Uh, A lot of the commentary about this on the internet uh, from, you know, various sources is some uh, version of, okay, well, the men make more, they're bringing in more money, so... uh, what do you expect? Of course, the, the women's facilities is going to be lesser because they're not making that much money. What can you tell us about that breakdown? I I find it hard to believe that they can't find $50,000 somewhere to like build out a weight room, but like, okay, uh, maybe that's the case. Like, How much is the women's tournament actually making? I would imagine a lot since they're selling out their final fours and they're on TV all the time. But what do you make of that argument that, oh, well, they're not making as much as the men. So what do you expect? We have to cut corners somewhere. So I have a few thoughts on that because it's something that as as an individual who covers women's basketball, I hear this a lot. You know, the men's yeah. game makes more than the women. So they should get more. So first of all, the issue with that is that is the argument the NCAA does not want you to make, even though all of these fans are thinking they're huge fans of March Madness. <laughs> that is the case the NCAA does not want you to make. Because to acknowledge that the men, which their tournament makes quite a bit more, $800 million to $35 million a year in TV contracts more. So there is a significant difference. However, again, this nonprofit entity, which regulates sports championships for colleges, doesn't want you to look at a situation in which the sport is the same, the path to the championship is the same, the championship is the same, the only difference is gender, and say but one makes a little bit more money, a lot more money, so they should have more because that sounds a little bit not like a nonprofit should operate in that way. And the second issue I have with that argument is that it is really not a complete conversation to talk about revenue when you're not talking about investment. And this Mm. is kind of the heart of the issue. Mm. And as I listen to and asked so many of these women's basketball players, you know, were you surprised? What were your thoughts when you saw those photos? Time and time again, I heard, not surprised. I'm a woman. I've played women's sports forever. This is kind of par for the course. And so when we talk about revenue without talking about investment, that comes down to a lot of different things. And yes, it is money, but it's also going back to sort of the excuses that the NCAA gave in terms of communication. 
Why wasn't there communication? You're telling me that not once there was a conversation in which Dan Gavitt facilitated something between the men's and women's championship committee saying, are the guys getting more than six dumbbells? Are they getting more than 10 yoga mats? There wasn't one time where that was made a priority. And then you talk about, again, TV contracts, where that's where a lot of the money comes from in college sports. This will be the first year that all of the women's games are televised nationally. Yep. It's been 40 years that the men's games have been broadcast by ESPN every year. Think about that. And so when we talk about that revenue without talking about investment, it's just such an incomplete conversation and it gets to the root of so many more issues. And I think that's specifically why this has really struck a chord with so many women's basketball players right now. So good, Chantel. Yes. Yeah, that was really great. So that was an excerpt from last week's show. We also talked about the latest NBA news, and we were joined by best-selling author and personality Eddie Wang. To hear the full episode, subscribe to TakeLine wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to YouTube slash TakeLine show for exclusive video clips from TakeLine and full episodes of my video series, All Caps NBA. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.